Well, everyone is facing challenges. Everyone is facing sort of a new life. And for some, that is simply just more on top of things that are already difficult. Uh, my heart goes out to our college students at this time who are in what I affectionately call crunch time. Because if this was just a normal year, any other time, this would be the time when they're thinking about uh, getting their projects done, getting their uh, exams studied for, getting their last minute tests in, all of the projects, all of the meetings, all of the group things that have to happen and be handed in, all of the last minute work before the end of the school year, which is coming up close. And now they're trying to do that online. Now they're trying to uh, scramble and continue to get all of those things done. And it can be challenging. And the thing that I remember about crunch time when I was in college was that I would get distracted simply because the weather started to get warm. I mean, Rochester had uh, has really the same weather pattern that we had in Toronto, where uh, I did all of my uh, secondary post-secondary education. And one of the things that would happen was I'd be working on a project or working on a paper and I would be sitting in my dorm room and the sun would be out and it would be shining and the weather would be nice. So I'd have my window open and I'd say, okay, I got to really focus down and study because this exam or this project is coming tomorrow. It's due tomorrow. And I would, well, I would uh, look outside and I'd, and I'd hear noises from outside and I'd look and there'd be students on the quad. They'd be playing Frisbee, tossing a football or a baseball around. There'd be some music playing. Maybe some students had a guitar out or someone had a stereo and they were, they were playing some music. And I would think, uh, maybe I don't need to do this right now. I can do it later when the sun goes down. And so I would go out. We'd hang out together. I soon learned, as all college students do and as all, all of us do over our lives, that what we spend our time in is what we become experts in. What we spend our time on is what we become experts in. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today is what should I be an expert in? In the eyes of God, as a Christ follower, what is it that I should be an expert in? Now, if you joined us last week, you know that we we've been learning and studying from the book of 1 Peter that Jesus is our best hope because he is our living hope. And we talked last week that Christians who put their hope in Jesus, who put their hope in Christ, have two rails that they run on, two uh, ideas, two thoughts about who God is that helps them framework decisions that they make in life and how they act. The one is that God is their heavenly father. That is, he's the head of the household and we act like we belong to him. We are holy because he is holy. And secondly, we are to act like God is our heavenly judge, that he judges us impartially. There's no nepotism. And so we talked about the idea of valuing Jesus above everything else. And how would others know that we have those two worldviews, that God is our heavenly father, that God is our heavenly judge? How would they know that we are holy like God is holy? How do they value? How do they know that we value Jesus above everything else? Well, it all comes down to this. And if you've been in our church for a while or you've grown up in church, you've probably heard this before. But the answer is love. They know we are Christians by our love. And uh, Peter actually says that 
our love matters. He says it this way. Now that you have purified yourself by loving the truth so that you have sincere love for one another, love one another deeply from the heart. In other words, when you have these two worldviews and understandings of this is who God is to me, that he is my heavenly father, that he is the head of the household, that I represent him, that I live in his place, I live by his rules, I'm holy because he is holy. And I value Jesus more than I value any other pursuit in my life. That has an effect on us, that as we start to live those things out in life, it begins to purify us. That truth begins to show up in our lives, and it becomes a sincere love for other people. Sincere love for other Christians specifically, but a sincere love for other people. And then Peter says, you know what? Be an expert in this. Be good at this. Love one another deeply from the heart. Now, I think that's a really odd command, don't you? That's a really odd statement for him to have to say. Why does he need to say, love one another deeply from the heart? Why does that matter? Because if you and I are honest, it's easier to love a little and then call it a day. It's easier to look for what is the minimum that I have to do? I'll do that. And then I can have the rest of my time in order to do the things that I want to do. We do that in all of life. And we do that specifically in loving each other as well. I've done my good deed for the day. I've shown up at church. That's enough for this week. I've read my Bible for 10 minutes. That's enough. I prayed for 5 to 10, 15 minutes. I, I did enough today. I, I, we look for the minimum. And so... What Peter is challenging us to do is to, well, be experts, be champions by deeply loving others from the heart. Don't just settle for the minimum. And he says it because love is worth being an expert in. It's worth being an expert in love, in loving deeply. Why is that? For two reasons. One is because love saves us. It's love that is the core of what has saved us. He says this, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For, for all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word that was preached to you. The truth is, the truth of the gospel, the truth that Jesus died for you and rose from the dead is based on the fact that God so loved the world. That is the truth of the love that has saved you. And we've been born again through this truth. And that's something that will never fade. It will be with us through all of our time here on earth for all of time and for all of eternity as well. And that means that this is the thing that is worthwhile simply because it's last. It lasts. It's, it's imperishable. It makes you secure because you are in God's love. That God is my loving heavenly father. That God is my loving heavenly judge. 
and all of the ways that he treats us is because he loves us. The way that he treats you is because he loves you. God's love has saved you. God's love is saving you. God's love saved the world if they respond to it. And God's love is saving the world. My son's a big fan of memes. And there's one current meme that I think just really reflects what Peter is trying to describe what love is like. And it's love is like flex tape. If you've ever watched any commercials of flex tape, they're hokey, they're bizarre, they're strange, they're, they're goofy. But it shows a guy who takes a piece of tape and shows how it can seal anything. It can prevent boats from sinking. It just, it can be used anywhere. It's kind of the current version of, of duct tape. If you're a fan of Red Green and you've ever watched him, he would say that duct tape can fix anything. Uh, it's like WD-40. It's like Superman was in the comic books, that he was able to be stronger than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings, see through things. He was able to uh, fly faster than anyone, run faster than anyone. He was stronger than anyone. He was impervious to all damage. That's what Peter is saying love is like. It has the power to save. It has the power to save anyone, even a criminal on the cross, who deserved enough punishment to die in the same way Jesus died, who said, would you remember me as you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. In that split moment, love saved him. And if love can save a person like that, then love can save you. And love is saving you. And this is the amazing truth about that idea. There is never a situation where the question, what does love require of me? That cannot be used as the solution. There is never a situation where the question, what does love require of me? Cannot be used as the solution. So if you're facing struggles with your spouse, wondering what you should do, You've got conflict in your marriage. You've got conflict in your family. You've got conflict with your kids. You've got conflict with your extended family, conflict at work, conflict in your neighborhood, conflict with the government. The answer that always works is this. What does love require of me? And then do that. Even love as discipline works. The way God disciplines us, think back to how we discipline others, discipline our kids. That's how we are to be. I get it. It doesn't always feel like love, does it? When we're disciplined. But hindsight is always twenty twenty. What does love require of me? I'll do that. Go deep in love because it's love that saves. But it doesn't only save. Love feeds. Love feeds us. Therefore, Rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Love feeds us. We should get rid of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind because those things feed you 
too. You see, what Peter is doing here and what God is doing for us is that he's saying that, you know, it feels really good when we draw from love and loving others sacrificially, loving others generously, loving others deeply. But he says, I recognize that there's other things that can become our appetites. We can crave love or we can crave other things and they seem satisfying. Malice towards someone or something has changed the world in so many ways. We have acted out of the things that we don't like and we want to see changed in the world. And they have led to incredible innovations. I mean, the iPhone that you and I have, the iPhone that you use was innovated and created because a man named Steve Jobs hated mobile phones. He despised them. And he said, we have to do better. Deceit? Well, deceit can, you know, tell a half-truth here and there, and it can keep conflict low. It's good to keep conflict low, right? Hypocrisy? Well, <laughs> hypocrisy makes us feel good when maybe we shouldn't feel as good as we want to feel. It makes us pursue happiness versus holiness. Envy? We start to view other people by the things that they have and think that they're who they are because of the things that they have and they own. And slander. You know, we want to feel good. We want to feel like we're important like other people. And one way that we can do that is that we can push other people down in order for us to rise up. And Peter says, those things feed you too. But how do they feed you? What do they end up producing? They don't help you grow in your salvation. So he says, crave pure spiritual milk. Crave the love of the gospel. The love of what Jesus has done for you and the love of what Jesus is doing for, for you because you've tasted that the Lord is good, that love produces way better things than malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. I mean, this is the difference between junk food and healthy food, isn't it? We know that junk food satisfies. I mean, we're living in a time right now where the easiest thing that we can do is just sit on the couch and just feed our face with junk food all day. But we know what will happen to us if that's what we do. We won't have any energy to do anything else. And so we force ourselves to get up off the couch and we force ourselves to make healthy meals for our family because we want them to be healthy. We know that healthier food choices make healthier versions of those that we love. And so that's true spiritually. The things that we crave, the things that we long for, are we longing for healthy things or junk food things? Essentially, there's a difference between what feels good and what is good. And that sometimes we can't rely on our feelings in order to decide what is actually good. And in every situation, in every circumstance, love is always the best answer. There is never a situation where the question, what does love require of me, cannot be used as a solution. Love is never wrong. It's never in someone's worst interest. It's never not helpful. Love 
never fails. It nourishes our character in healthy ways. Love saves us and is saving us. Love feeds us. And it builds us spiritually into the kind of people that are holy, into the kind of people that value Jesus above all else. So that's why we should love deeply, love each other deeply as from the heart. As we close this morning, let me ask you one question. Who is it that you find hard to love like this? Who you would rather just give the minimum to? Just a, just a little bit, but not go deep, not go higher in your love for them. Why don't, why don't you take some time this week to pray for them? Pray that they would know God's love and that they would taste and see the truth of the gospel in the same way that you have. And do that every day. Take some time to do that. When you feel like you want to feel, feel uh, malice towards them or envy, jealousy, take some time and say, no, I'm going to do what love requires of me. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to reach out to them perhaps and see how God prompts you to respond through your prayer. Who do you find hard to love? Pray for them so that you would learn to love deeply from the heart. You know, we recently learned that the 2020 Olympics are now uh, going to be postponed. They're hoping to do those in 2021. And of course, we've seen all sorts of sports be postponed or delayed or paused. The NBA has paused. Uh, Major League Baseball has not launched. It was supposed to launch, uh, have its opening day on uh, this past Thursday. Uh, hockey has stopped. Uh, football is hoping that they can still have training camps in, in August. Uh, they're trying to curtail a number of their activities as well. But if you check in on those athletes, they know that just because of the fact that all of the uh, leagues have stopped, that their desire to be a champion doesn't change. Champions give maximum effort every day of their life even if they don't feel like it, even if the circumstances might say, you can take the day off, you can take some time away. What do you think it would look like if you as a Christ follower, and if the church were to say, we're going to be champions in this, and we're going to be champions at loving deeply, because we know what love is doing, how love is saving us, and we know how love is growing us, how it's feeding us. Imagine that church. So let's be champions at love. It's worth taking the time to be an expert at loving deeply. Let's pray together. Jesus, would you forgive us for the times when we have chosen the minimum path and said, we only have to love this much. We only have to do a little bit for these people, and then we're good. We've, we've covered our basis. We've, we've done the minimum that we can do. Lord, would, would you teach us? Would you show us? Would you remind us? Would you 
give us that taste again of how good love is, how it saves us and is saving us, that that's the truth of who Jesus is and why he does everything he does, why he died, how he rose again, how he's changing us and indwelling in us is all because of your love. And Lord, would you remind us that it is what love, it, it is love that, that feeds us, it grows us to understand that truth even more fully. Would you help us now that we have learned to love others sincerely, to love one another deeply from the heart? Would you teach us to be champions at love? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.